This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. It's been a while since I've been back in the seat. It's been a couple of weeks, uh, an interesting couple of weeks for sure. A lot of good, a lot of good stuff has happened uh, locally in sports in those couple of weeks since I've been behind this microphone. So happy to get caught up on all of it. I remember the last uh, time uh, I was hosting, the Yankees were falling apart. They couldn't hit. They couldn't find a way to win. That has certainly changed in the last week. Uh, The Mets were getting all they could handle from the Atlanta Braves. That's a division race clearly uh, not settled yet, but a little bit of breathing room for the Mets after winning last night and Atlanta losing. The lead for the Mets now two and a half games, so things looking a lot better on that front. And then, of course, the last time I was in this chair, the NFL season hadn't started. So, you know, like we do every year, every late summer, early September, we speculate about the teams, especially the New York teams, the Giants and the Jets. And, you know, if everything goes right, the Giants could win seven or eight games. And, you know, if all the Jets' young talent develops and Zach Wilson stays healthy and Joe Flacco holds down the fort, you know, maybe they just can show some signs of improvement. But, hey, what a difference two weeks makes of the NFL season. You're feeling great about the Giants if you're a Giants fan. And you're feeling good about the Jets. And not that they, look, they won the game last week. But that, to me, is secondary. It's great to get the win. It's great to show progress and win a game. It's great to do anything and win a game. Because in professional sports, you know, winning is the thing. It's really the only thing that matters. But with the Jets, you want to see progress. You thought before the season you had a lot of Young talent on this team. It seems like Joe Douglas has drafted well. Uh, The most important draft pick he has made, Zach Wilson. The jury is still very much out on him. We haven't seen this year, obviously. But the players that he has put around that position, he seemed to do a good job. And through two weeks, the Brees Halls um, and the Garrett Wilsons of the world and this young talent that has been brought in really does seem – to be the real deal. And it seems to give you a lot of hope and a lot of optimism. And then on top of that, to win and win the way you did last week against Cleveland. So you're feeling good from that standpoint. And then this Aaron judge thing is it, it's fun. And is it starting to get to him? I think it is. Um, you know, he hits the two home runs on Sunday, numbers 58 and 59, First game at the stadium this week against Pittsburgh in a game that looked like they were on their way to losing, leading off the bottom of the ninth inning. He slugs number 60. That was awesome. And then from that point on, literally the entire sports world's eyes have been on him. And it just kind of gives you a glimpse. Anybody who watched the movie 61 that Billy Crystal did about 20 years ago about the home run chase, Um, between Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle in 1961. It was a very well-done movie. You know, there were a couple of factual inaccuracies, but for the most part, uh, the cast was good, the storytelling in that movie was good, and it just kind of gave you a glimpse into what Roger Maris had to go through. And Aaron Judge, from a pressure standpoint, pressure from the media, pressure from, you know, perhaps angry fans who don't want him to break the record. He doesn't have to deal with any of that. You know, Judge right now has a 100% approval rating from the media, from the fans, from all of Major League Baseball. It's also a different world that we live in right now. You know, it's a kinder, gentler world right now. But there's still such a significant amount of pressure every time he steps into the plate. 
literally, I've never seen this before, and I know people have remarked on this, so I'm not claiming I'm the first person to notice this, but when he is in the batter's box and the pitcher comes to his set, the entire stadium goes silent like Tiger Woods standing over a putt in a major. I mean, it's unbelievable. Everybody just wants to be part of this experience, and it's going to happen. I mean, I would be blown away if it doesn't happen. He's got 12 games left this season. I, I'm starting to think, look, we only have a game and a half left of this homestand. I'm starting to think it might not happen in New York, which would be a shame because he hit number 60 on Tuesday. So then you had Wednesday. He didn't get it there, although he had two doubles and a walk. Thursday, he didn't get it. That was the night that we thought he had it in the bottom of the ninth inning. What a story that would have been. He didn't get it last night. He's, uh, what is he, one three at-bats today. He's 0 for 2 today with a walk. Um, Oswaldo Cabrera, the young rookie who hit his fourth home run uh, his last time up to give the Yankees the lead. He's up right now. He's the sixth batter, so six, seven, eight, nine. So Judge is up fifth, and they are in the bottom of the sixth inning, and the Yankees have a lead over the Red Sox 5-4. to four. But, you know, for sports fans of my age and a little bit younger and definitely older, I know that the world has changed. The sports world has changed. You know, Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and what they did changed a lot of the quote-unquote special or sacred numbers in baseball history. 61 is still a special one, and it's still a special one in New York. I mean, if you think about the American League players who have hit 60 home runs in a season, three of them, all of them Yankees, all of them right fielders, Ruth and then Maris and then Judge. So it is still a very special number. And, you know, growing up in New York, my father, who's like 72 right now in his 70s, grew up a Yankee fan. I grew up a Yankee fan. Uh, try to keep it down the middle now, but I get called out on it every once in a while. But uh, grew up a Yankee fan. My father grew up a Yankee fan. And, you know, I grew up in the 80s when the Yankees never went to the playoffs. They went in 1981. I was two years old. Uh, they didn't go back to the playoffs again until 1995 when I was a junior in high school. So I never grew up seeing the Yankees. And I was always jealous of the people of my father's generation who got to watch, you know, Mantle and Maris and um, Yogi Berra and be a part as a fan of that home run chase in 1961. It really did seem like the most amazing thing to experience as a fan. And now, you know, fans and baseball followers of all ages are getting to experience it in New York right now, a player of the same franchise of the player who set the record in 1961. It's, it's a very cool thing. And at 43 years old now, for me, I can still appreciate it as if I were 12 years old or as if I were 15 years old. And it's a lot of fun. Every time Judge gets into the batter's box, I kind of stop doing what I'm doing. Call my son into the room. He's nine years old, plays baseball himself. I mean, it is a special experience um, that we're getting to share these next couple of weeks. He's playing extremely well, by the way, but you could see the pressure of having to hit a home run ever so slightly, or maybe even more than ever so slightly. But you can see it starting to get to him. He has just missed on a couple of fly balls that he normally squares up and sends over the fence. Um, there have been, I just saw a stat, his last at-bat when he walked in the, uh, I think it was the fifth inning, he walked last inning, and yes, showed a stat that Ever since he hit his 60th home run on Tuesday, Judge has seen 37 pitches out of the strike zone, and he has swung at six of them. Now, Judge never swings at pitches out of the strike zone. 
So, you know, you're starting to maybe see him press a little bit by going outside of his zone and changing some things up. And it, look, this whole thing is human nature. I mean, again, I can't imagine um, the stress or the scrutiny because Judge has done a great job. And I do strongly believe this is who he is. He's a guy who you know, wants to win baseball games, and he wants to help his team win baseball games. And he's the best player in Major League Baseball right now uh, when you combine everything he does, hitting, hitting for average, fielding. He's a terrific base runner. I mean, he's, he's the best there is in Major League Baseball right now, and he wants that to project onto winning. But here he is smack in the middle of what is an individual accomplishment, and frankly, uh, it does seem to be a little uncomfortable for him. So, you know, you hope from the judge standpoint he gets – 61 he gets 62 he takes the pressure off and then he can kind of go back to doing what he was doing to get to this point but and judge will like this and Yankee fans will like this while this has been going on this pursuit of 61 the Yankees have kind of found themselves again and ultimately that's going to be the most important thing to come out of this season you know I mentioned and I don't remember the last time I was on the show might have been Labor Day it's been a couple of weeks since I was here um Again, the Yankees were falling apart at that point. You know, they had absolutely no lineup. You know, there were the days of um, Oswald Peraza starting at shortstop. You had just called up Oswaldo Cabrera, although he's proven himself and he's still here. Donaldson was out. LeMahieu was out, and he remains out. Rizzo was out. Stanton was out. Bader was out. I mean, it was a who's who of guys who were not available, and the Yankees were throwing out lineups with Judge, maybe two other marginal major league baseball players and a bunch of guys who really didn't belong in the majors and and they were literally falling apart before our eyes well the Yankees have found themselves you know Stanton's back he's still rusty had that big home run the other night Uh, Josh Donaldson and Glaber Torres are both hitting right now and that's huge Harrison Bader in a very short amount of time has proven to be everything that Brian Cashman wanted him to be when he traded Jordan Montgomery for him in that controversial trade deadline day trade. And then um, you have Anthony Rizzo back in the lineup as well. So more importantly, they're winning. And I don't, it's not a coincidence. Those guys come back. You have a representative starting lineup every night, and you're starting to win games. So that has been happening while this judge home run chase has been going on. And that's really important for the organization because if judge – if all the attention was on Judge, and look, all the attention's going to be on Judge until he has 62 home runs. And then it'll, he can exhale. He can maybe even take a day off at that point. He, but, you know, he's at the point now. He, he can't take a day off. Aaron Boone said, I think, before this game, he might give him a day at designated hitter. He's got to take every single at bat. He's leading off every single game. And literally all eyes are going to be on him until he surpasses number 61. But if that was happening and the Yankees were struggling, and losing, that would make this situation so much worse and put so much more pressure on him. So the fact that his teammates are kind of picking him up right now. You know, pitching's been solid. I'll get to Garrett Cole and his performance last night and what that could mean for the Yankees going forward. But overall, the fact that the Yankees are starting to find themselves. They have moved their lead over Toronto and Tampa Bay back to eight and a half games in the American League East. They look like they're going to hold on and 
clinch this division title, get that first round by into the ALDS, get five days off at the end of the regular season and be able to set themselves. Now the last piece is to have Judge surpass this number so things can kind of return to normal and you can work on getting the rest of your roster back intact for the postseason. And that's the position the Mets are in right now. Now things are still more tenuous for the Mets, obviously a much better team chasing them, but you know the Braves, after not losing a game, it seemed, for four months, are starting to stub their toe here or there. And now the Mets have this two-and-a-half game lead. There's only two weeks' worth of games left in the regular season. The Mets are getting their roster back intact for the stretch run and, more importantly, for the playoff run. And the Mets really have a chance because, remember, when they started to struggle at the beginning of September, the most confounding thing about that was that they were struggling against the easiest part of their schedule. They were struggling against Washington. They were struggling against Pittsburgh. They were struggling against Chicago. Well, they're still playing a soft schedule. They're now finally taking advantage of those games and putting themselves in position where they could really set themselves up for an October run, which I, for one, think they more than have in them. So that's the baseball story. We're going to talk football as well. Jordan Renan will join me at the bottom of the hour. Uh, talk about the Giants' first two games. Set the stage for Monday Night Football at MetLife Stadium against the Dallas Cowboys two days from now. Uh, we'll talk plenty on the Jets as well. And, of course, your calls, 1-800-919-3776. Here all afternoon, Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Rafael Devers, the Yankee killer, who's already got six home runs against him this season, is up. A man on first, one out. Boone just brought in the lefty Lucas Lidke to pitch to Devers. Uh, regardless of what happens this inning, Aaron Judge is due up second in the bottom of the seventh. So we continue to be on Judge Watch. Uh, Judge's day today, his first at-bat was an interesting one. Nick Pavetta reared back and threw him all fastballs. Judge actually struck out looking to begin the game for the Yankees. Uh, his next at-bat came to lead off the bottom of the third inning when he got under one and flew out to center field. And then in the bottom of the fifth inning, Judge walked. So he's 0 for 2 with a walk today. And his fourth plate appearance is coming up at the bottom of the seventh. As I mentioned, he is due up second. Yankees leading 5-4. to four. Uh, the Mets will get going in Oakland uh, at the top of the hour. Uh, Jacob DeGrom on the mound for the Mets today. Ken Waldachuk pitching for the Oakland A's. Mets uh, have certainly straightened themselves out this week. Uh, Scherzer's back, comes back with those six perfect innings. DeGrom, you continue to knock on wood every time you say his name, but boy, uh, all and then some of what you could have hoped for and expected after a full year off. Uh, you know, the lineup still gives you concerns. There's names in there. There's dudes in there uh, that can get things done, okay? But they don't as consistently as you would like. So if there is a concern, uh, it's that when they get to the playoffs and they face better pitching, um, how are they going to perform in those situations? But they're winning right now. And uh, for the Mets, and I've been harping on this since Atlanta started making its run in July when it became clear that the Braves were not going away, and, and they're not going away, and they still haven't gone away. 
the difference for the Mets between winning the NL East and having to play one of those best two out of three wild card series uh, is immense, no matter how you slice it. You know, it's huge for the Yankees, too, but we really haven't had to talk about it much for the Yankees because, you know, other than that scare right around Labor Day when I think Tampa got to within two games in the loss column and like three games back overall, the Yankees lead in the AL East was never in serious jeopardy. When, when the Mets have had, you know, they could feel the breath of the Braves on the back of their neck for three straight months now. And that is a lot of pressure to to play under. So the Mets in Oakland, 4 o'clock. Um, Litke trying to get out of this jam. Top of the seventh now. Um, runner on first and two outs after he comes in and strikes out Devers. So a big out there uh, for Litke. Uh, Giants and Jets. Jets tomorrow uh, back at MetLife Stadium against the Bengals. That was the uh, scenario last Halloween. Probably the best Jets moment last season. The Mike White game. I mean, and, and you know, look, you don't want to harp on this too much. Clearly, Zach Wilson has not had an opportunity to put forth a very meaningful body of work because he can't stay healthy and he got hurt last year he was in and out of the lineup when he was in he was inconsistent there was some good but there was a lot more bad and then this year doesn't look good in the first preseason game injures himself in the first half of the first preseason game and we haven't seen him since but it, I do think that it's what what are the let's let's just Ask it this way. Since the Jets drafted Zach Wilson second overall, what were the two best games for the Jets in that time? They were the Bengals game last year, and it was the Browns game last week. And the quarterbacks of those two games, neither of them was Zach Wilson. And I think there's something to that. It doesn't mean that Wilson's not the answer. He's not the franchise quarterback. He's never going to get it done here. But, you know, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence, and it's way too early to tell. But there's enough reason to at least have the thought in your mind that, God, this guy might not be the long-term answer. I mean, and Giants fans are dealing with that right now, even despite their 2-0 and record. You know, Daniel Jones has played well. I think he's played well. Uh, I, I hear a lot of voices from around the country that I just think that their decision and their mind is made up on Daniel Jones, and they're never going to see him as a viable option. Look, the fact is that if Daniel Jones can limit the mistakes, he can make plays. He's just got to limit the mistakes. And there was no glaring mistake that was made for Jones so far than week one, the interception in the end zone against Tennessee. But after that, on that last drive with his legs, and that's a big part of the uh, game for Daniel Jones, he made plays down the stretch of that game to help his team win. Curious to get Jordan Renan's thoughts on where Daniel Jones is right now through two games. Uh, has he significantly contributed to the 2-0 start? Are the Giants winning in spite of Daniel Jones? Uh, not a lot of talk about him right now because they're 2-0, and it's all good. A lot of talk about Saquon Barkley. A lot of talk about Brian Dable. This week, a lot of talk about Kenny Galladay. Uh, we'll get to it all next. Jordan Renan covers the Giants. ESPN joins me after the break, and then later we'll get to your calls. 1-800-919-3776. We continue to be on Judge Watch, bottom of the seventh inning. He will bat second for the Yankees here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. 
We continue to be on Judge Watch, but uh, let's switch gears now and talk about the 2-0 New York Giants. Jordan Renan covers the Giants for ESPN. You know, Jordan, I don't mean to make light of this, but I'm not really sure how to address you now. You and I have spoken on this spot for years, but never uh, with the Giants in a position of being 2-0. and I'm not really sure how to approach this right now, man. Yeah, I mean, like, smile, sit back. I mean, we have meaningful football at least through uh, October and hopefully into November and beyond. It's a, it's a rarity, uh, really, in recent memory. And we also have uh, – a highly anticipated game on Monday night. And I was trying to think, and you know, not to put you on the spot, yeah. but the most anticipated Giants game since when? You know, I know people got excited that that week seventeen game when they went to six and ten <laughs> against Dallas uh, two years ago. No, 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 no. Gotta go back before that. I would say I believe they came home and played Washington the second career start for Daniel Jones. Everyone was really hyped up because Daniel Jones' first start was awesome in Tampa Bay, I, I would go back to right around there. Or, and then if you if you don't consider that, you're going back to 2016 where uh, what was towards the end of the year, they played the, the Cowboys on a Monday night. I believe they won like they won by a touchdown. It was something like 10-7 or 16-9 or something like that with the only touchdown being like a 80-yard Odell slam to the house or something, which was a, a, a dynamite atmosphere there. So. Yeah. That's right. I mean, that, that's where we're, we're, we're going back, though, at this point, right? Well, we are. and it, it, it's, it's all good right now at 2-0. and um, You know, a couple things. The defense, I, I thought, has been good. You know, even in that Tennessee game when they fell behind by 13, you know, the field position Tennessee was getting, I thought it could have been a lot worse. Obviously, they held Carolina in check. And, and you know, doing it without Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, doing it without Aziz Ojolari. First off on that, will we see either of them on Monday yeah. night? Yeah, I was going to say, first off, the good news on that end, I expect to see them both. I mean, Thibodeau said, oh, you told me, oh, yeah, I'm playing. Uh, when I asked him if there's any doubt if he's going to be playing this week. Now, they're both listed as questionable, but both guys say they're playing. And so, barring a setback, I think you expect the Giants to have both their pass rushers back, which is a huge, huge boost because, uh, I mean, the fact that they've been able to play that well without their two top pass rushers is huge. I mean, that, that says a lot about the defense. They've allowed 36 points in two games, so you allow 18 points a game in the NFL. That, that's a really good number. So they've gotten off to a good start, and now you're adding two quality edge rushers to that defense. Uh, it gives you hope that this can, be a, this can turn into a pretty good Giants defense moving forward. And they'll get tested soon enough because this isn't the week maybe that you know, Thibodeau and uh, Ojolari are set to shine or even next week when they're playing the Bears and Justin Fields, right? But then they got Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson. Like, those weeks, that's when, like, in order for them to be able to hold up defensively, that's really when you're going to need Thibodeau and Ocelari at full strength. Overall, what would you say about the defense, and, and, and how much of a difference has Wink Martindale meant here? I mean, he's been a huge difference. I, I He's been there biggest offseason addition so far, right? I mean, that defense is not overly talented. Uh, they were starting uh, Jahad Ward and O'Shane Zimenez at, you know, as their two starting edge rushers, and they held two teams to uh, 36 total points, like I just said. I mean, that's pretty darn good, the way he's been able to scheme up pressure. The biggest two plays of the game last week, defensive plays, 
he brings five pass rushers, right? Which is obviously a blitz. But, I mean, the number of defensive backs that he's bringing from different spots. On the final play, which was a sack by Julian Love, three of the five rushers were safeties, right? Three of the five rushers, think about that a second, for a second, were safeties. So that just goes to show you that he's, this is, first of all, this is what he does. But this is him, you know, finding ways to make it happen, even when he knows he has limited personnel and, the, you know, the talent level he's working with is not what they would hope it would be in regards to, you know, natural pass rushers. You mentioned uh, we're talking with Jordan Renan, who covers the Giants for ESPN. Uh, the good news, or it seems, Thibodeau and Ojolari on track to play Monday night. What about Tony and Leonard Williams, both listed as doubtful, and specifically Tony downgraded on the injury report yesterday? Yeah, he didn't practice again today, so that's never a good sign. I mean, he's not going to play. It would be a mir- it would take a miracle for him to play. I'd be stunned if he did. Uh, this is just something he hasn't been able to shake. And look, it just continues to add to the questions you have about him uh, in regards to his availability. He just hasn't been available often enough so far in the year in, what, two, three games now that he's been a giant. And then you add in all the other stuff that comes with him. I mean, if you go look at his social media right now, I don't know if he scrubbed it yet, but every time something goes wrong, you know, there's always some kind of post or comment. I mean, it has to make you concerned of where, you know, they are with uh, Kadarius Tony at this point. It's just I don't care how high you are in his talent, how much you know, that, that game against the Cowboys last year has you in trance. It just hasn't worked so far. Like, he hasn't been able to stay on the field for whatever reason it is, and it's been really everything from even when he first started in uh, OTAs, a rookie minicamp it was, when he had the wrong size cleats on and twice had COVID. I mean, the guy, literally everything has happened to this guy. And now this hamstring injury is the latest. It's just, it's been it's been nagging now for several weeks. It, 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 we thought it, he was getting healthier and it went away going into week one, but now it came back this week and uh, it looks to be a problem. And who knows when he gets back on the field? Hamstring injuries, as we've seen, Pat, are uh, you know fickle fickle uh, injuries and uh, problems to deal with. So who knows right now? Well, especially for a guy whose entire game is explosiveness. So it would be nice to get an opportunity to see that. Um, what about Leonard Williams? What's his status? Yeah, he didn't practice this week now. You're talking about a guy who's never missed the game. And when, he, when it looked like last year he was going to miss time and be out for an extended period with an elbow injury, it was the end of the season. Their season was lost. He could easily throw in the towel and then had, you know, just rested that injured elbow. But he played even though he was supposed to miss several weeks. So I'll leave like the slimmest of slim possibilities he plays on Monday night. But it sure doesn't look like it. We didn't see him at all this week at practice. So I would expect them to be without Leonard Williams. Uh, so even better that they're getting back Thibodeau and Ojolari because Leonard Williams is their best def- defensive front seven player by far. Jordan, what's your take on the Kenny Galladay situation? Going back to his lack of playing time on Sunday and then his comments when asked about that and how he handled that in the aftermath this week. Yeah, look, the thing is, Kenny Galladay just he has not looked explosive since, you know, the start of training camp. Uh, you could tell this probably wasn't going to work out. 
I give Brian Dayball credit. Uh, I didn't think he would pull, you know, you know, he would have the onions to kind of pull this kind of move at this point, but he did. And uh, you saw it with Tony in week one. He didn't play him much, right? He hasn't practiced a lot. He didn't play Tony. You saw it in week two, you know. He didn't like what he was saying from Galladay. He decided David Sills was a better option. And he's preached, you know, there's going to be competition at that position. And he's, you know, meant what he said. So I give him credit on that part. And now Galladay, who's a player who's getting paid $18 million this year, you know, was a huge free agent acquisition last year, sees the writing on the wall. Uh, now he's handled it pretty well. You know, I, I, I give, I have no problem with the, what he said. Like he was just honest with, with how he felt. And Kenny Galladay is, uh, for the Kenny Galladay has not performed since he's been a giant. Like that's, there's no way to argue that. Like he's making a lot of money and the production hasn't matched what he's made for a variety of reasons, not all his own doing, but at the same time, he's been very open and honest in pretty much every press conference setting. And he was honest about, hey, I'm disappointed. I'm not playing. I don't agree with it. Like, and I don't understand. People have a problem with that? No. Like, who isn't going to be disappointed that they're not playing? Like, I know Kadarius Tony said the week before, oh, yeah, well, why would I be disappointed? We won. Well, of course you'll be. You could, they're, they're not, those things, two things can be mutually exclusive. They could be separated. You can be happy that your team won. You can be disappointed that you're not playing. And I think that's natural. Of course he's disappointed he's not playing. Nobody wants to sit the bench. Kenny Galli's a guy, and he said this the other day, he's never been in this situation before. He's never sat the bench in his life. Of course he's not happy. So as long as it's not a problem in our locker room, and it doesn't seem to be, uh, then I, I don't see the problem with, with uh, Kenny Galladay saying what is obviously true and what's honest and on his mind. So, well, I completely where, agree with that. I think that situation stands. I, I agree with your take because, I mean, how often do we and, and fans say and complain that athletes aren't honest? And this guy was asked, are you disappointed? And what's he supposed to say? No, I'm happy I played two snaps. So I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, I agree. And I actually thought when people were like, yeah, Tony said the right thing. You know, how, how could he be disappointed? You know, what a stupid question. And I was the one who asked that question. Like, are you disappointed that you, you only played seven snaps? He said, how could I be disappointed? We know that, that I, 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 you know that's not how he feels. You know he wants to play. Like, he, nobody wants to sit and watch. These guys are prideful. He's been a star. He's been a great player, you know, his whole life. He's not used to sitting on the bench. And if you watch him stew on the sideline, you realize, of course, he's upset and disappointed he's not playing. But to your point, it's not affecting the team. So, um, Daniel Jones, he's 2-0 right now. Uh, you know, some mistakes, got away with some mistakes. Uh, how would you sum up his first two games? Uh, I think he's been, he's been okay. He's been, uh, you know, I, I, B-minus-ish, you know, C-plus, somewhere in that range. Like, uh, obviously that interception in week one was, was a bad play. He threw a bad pass at the end of the first half this past week, but uh, Daniel Jones has been under a lot of pressure uh, by next-gen stats. he It's like 51% of his dropbacks he's been pressured so far this year. That's the most of any quarterback in the NFL. So the protection thing is still something that limits this offense. Like We have to keep that in consideration. He's not going to just be able to go out there and sling it around for three, four, 350, 400 yards. Like they're, just, they're not built for that. A, we have to be honest, what weapons does he have on the outside right now? We've seen Kanagale is not what you know they thought they were getting. 
Kadarius Tony obviously can't be can't stay on the field, right? They can't stay healthy. So, like, what is he really throwing to? Sterling Shepard, David Sills, and Richie James? So, I think we have to be honest when we're talking about Daniel Jones. Now, I don't think he played a great game against the Panthers. I thought he played better against the Titans, even though he made that bad interception. I thought he played better against the Titans. But, again, it's much of what we've seen the first two years. There's some good stuff, some bad stuff, nothing that really blows you away at this point. Where do you stand on that, Pat? I'm always curious what people think about him. I think it's a great point about the the lack of weapons. Because what was it, last year when Ingram was still here and they brought in Galladay, the the – the word was, well, he's finally got weapons around him. But now he doesn't have those weapons now. But what he does have around him right now but is the— But did he even have them last year? I think they're more no, he didn't. weapons by name than they are, you know? Correct. We, than they really are by, by, by what they produce on the field at this point. Oh, no question about it. We, we didn't know Galladay was going to be as ineffective as he was. You thought you'd get a lot more out of a first-rounder in Kadarius Tony, and outside of the Dallas game, you didn't get that. But the offensive line seems to be a big upgrade this year, and I think it's allowing him to do more. I, I agree with you. I thought he was really good uh, outside of that awful, awful interception against Tennessee. I thought he was really good leading that final drive, and, and they allowed him to do what he can do, which is make plays with his legs. Yeah, that's the thing we can't discount is when it came down to the biggest moments in those two games, he kind of, he, they, they went down the field and they scored on those drives. And two of the biggest plays were in Tennessee, fourth and one, they called the naked bootleg and Daniel Jones ran for a first down, right? And then this past week, they're going to ice the game and they're going to end the game. Third down, Daniel Jones makes a play with his legs. So I, I do have to give him credit on that, and that's partially why um, – you know, I say B plus, uh, B minus C plus, and I think he's played above average so far. Overall, though, Jordan, it seems like with Dable here, and look, they're two and zero, so of course you're going to feel this way. But look, I'll be honest, I was at his right. press conference, and I liked him from the first moment. I thought he was hilarious that day, and I thought he has just had the right tone since then. Now you have to prove that you can coach, but there just seems to be between him and Wink. Uh, and Saquon being healthy, there seems to be a quiet confidence around this team. I think that's fair, and you know what creates that. And I always – people, we sat here, and Dave Gettleman told us about culture, culture this, culture that. Well, you know what creates a good culture, in my opinion? Winning. Yeah. Winning creates a good culture, and that helps everything. So the fact that they've been able to win, think about the credibility that it buys Brian Dable, right? It's one thing to sit there and preach whatever it is you're preaching and, you know, him and Wink Martindale and the entire Giants staff, and then you're going out and you're losing. Now, at first, people are, you know, they, they have the confidence in you. They, they're they're going to be like, okay, we're going to do what he says. It's going to pay off. We have, comp- we have you know, confidence that they're, they know enough, that they're experienced enough, that this is the way it's going to be. But if you go and you have – and then you win and you win games – it's sort of validation of everything they're preaching, preaching, right? Whatever Brian Dable has been preaching, and it's, you know, discipline, poise, uh, and smarts and toughness, right? Like, if he's preaching those things, and then they go out, they're going out and winning games, they're like, oh, you know what? This formula of what he's preaching is working. And so they've won their first two games. So I, I do think it gives them confidence to say, hey, you know what? What this guy is doing is working. What we're doing is working. We can win here now with what we're doing if we continue to do it. And I spoke to Saquon about this the, uh, after the game the other day. And what he said to me was, no one thought we were worth a damn, but 
you know, we're just going to keep going out and doing what we, uh, you know, what we're doing and stay focused. And we're going to, if we do that, we can keep winning. And that just shows you that the confidence that they have in really the culture and the system that has been instilled here in them. Let me get one more on Saquon. And you kind of pointed this out to me for the first time over the summer when we were talking. You know, the idea that, look, he's in the last year of his contract. Giants don't know if he's going to be here, and they obviously need him. Giants are going to ride him, or at least they should ride him. And he wants that because he Mm -hmm. wants the next contract. And it seems like that's working, and it's mutually beneficial right now. Yeah, they're all motivated for him to have a big season. It's good for everybody, right? It's good for the team. It's good for the organization. Uh, and it's good for Saquon Barkley individually. So I, I just think that everything's aligned. And, and you, you mentioned the offensive line being improved. The biggest improvement on the offensive line to me, and I think it's shown, I, mean, I thought this in the summer and it's really showed during the games, is that this is a better run-blocking offensive line than it is pass-blocking offensive line. So everything is sort of aligned to, for, for the whole offense and everything to run through Saquon Barkley. And especially with the way that the wide receiver situation has turned out right now, right? They don't have big weapons. And they, they're, they're, if you line up their weapons right now at the receiver position and include, and include tight ends, I mean, they might be – they're in the bottom five in the league. Easy. I, didn't, I haven't gone through everyone, but easily in the bottom five. So, again, everything is, is tilting towards we have to rely on Saquon. This is where our offense needs to run. And that's why it just makes sense for the Giants to do it. And Saquon's all for it because this is a contract year for him. He's He knows this is make or break for him. Yeah, I mean, it's not like this is a team that had high expectations. So whatever way you can do to get it done. And, and through two games, they're doing that. Jordan, great stuff as always. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, interesting chatting with you with this team 2-0. and We'll see if they can keep it going on Monday night. Thanks a lot, man. Pat, if you're on next week, we can do it again because they were with a winning record. I can guarantee that. Okay? <laughs> there you go. Bold prediction by Jordan Renan. Giants will have a winning record going into week four. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Always great catching up with Jordan. Uh, while we were chatting, uh, lots happened in the Yankee game. Uh, Judge was due up second in the inning. Yankees hit a home run. Unfortunately, it was not off the bat of Aaron Judge. He struck out. The next batter was Anthony Rizzo. He hit a two-run home run. Yanks have a 7-5 to five lead in the bottom of the seventh. Uh, and now the question is, can they get the lineup around to get Judge one more at-bat in today's game? You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Right now, the Yankees lead the Red Sox 7-5. to five. Uh, On most days, that would be the most important thing. It's the bottom of the seventh. It's the second most important thing for at least every fan that's inside Yankee Stadium hoping to see history today. Aaron Judge still has not hit number 61. He struck out in the bottom of the seventh. You have two runners on and two outs, and Oswaldo Cabrera at the plate for the Yankees. Now, if Cabrera makes out here, that means it would be seven, eight, and nine in the bottom of the eighth, which means Judge would be due up fourth next inning. And don't forget, the Yankees are winning right now, so there might not be an opportunity to bat in the bottom of the ninth. Again, the Mets are coming up in about 10 minutes from Oakland as Cabrera skies it to left field and flies out to end the inning. So the Yankees up by two. Judge due up fourth in the bottom of the uh, bottom of the eighth. God help uh, 
Is it Hicks now? No, I think Trevino must have come in. Hicks actually pinch hit in the ninth spot. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? The year Hicks has had. Hicks has actually had a, a good weekend. He was excellent last night, and the Yankees win over the Sox. And then in this inning, he pinch hit for Higashioka, and he worked a leadoff walk, and he scored ahead of Anthony Rizzo on his two-run home run. So you, you would imagine Jose Trevino is going to replace Hicks and come in and play catcher because Hicks pinch hit for Higashioka. But just, you know, let me have a little fun with this scenario as Hicks, of course, is unquestionably the most reviled Yankee right now. Although, as I said, he has played well this weekend. Can you imagine if Hicks came up with two outs in the bottom of the eighth inning and the Yankees winning and made out and prevented Judge from getting another at-bat? The reaction for Hicks, of all his transgressions this year, the ground outs with the bases loaded, the strikeouts in big spots, the misplaying fly balls, the walking away from a fly ball that's in play and allowing the runners to circle the bases and score. I think that would be the one that Yankee fans would be the most angry at would he prevent Aaron Judge from getting an at-bat at the end of this game. But as I said, Trevino probably coming in for Hicks. Uh, good stuff, as always, from Jordan Renan. This is a huge game for the Giants on Monday. All right, now the Giants have put themselves into position where I don't know the last time this was the case, but the Giants should win this game on Monday. And it's not just that they're 2-0. If they were 1-1, one one, if Bullock's field goal against Tennessee was good instead of going wide left, or if Dable rolled the dice and Barkley didn't get in on the two-point conversion and the Giants lost that game by one, you would still have, I mean, the 2-0 makes it better, but when you're looking at this team, something's different right now. You would still have a better feeling about this Giants team than really at any point in a very, very long time. And, and, you would still feel that, all right, Monday night against the Dallas team that has a depleted offensive line, has their backup quarterback playing, and frankly is not that great of a team to begin with, even if Dak Prescott is playing. You add all of those things up. This is a game on Monday night that the Giants should win. They should win this game. They should be Every expectation should be that the Giants win this game on Monday night. All right. And at some point, and I've been sitting here for years during this whole stretch of ineptitude for both the Giants and the Jets and and the Knicks, we can throw them in, too. And, you know, at a certain point, whether you're on this side of the microphone or you're listening and calling in or whatever, if you're following these teams at a certain point, you get tired of talking about the baby steps at a certain point. The expectation has to be to actually win the game. It's got to be to win the game. And the expectation for the Giants on Monday night, they're calling for the whiteout, all right? I know Giants fans historically don't like Monday night games because you probably don't get home from MetLife Stadium until about 2.30 in the morning. But if there's a game on Monday night that's worth going to, it is this one on Monday night because they're 2-0 and and they're favored and they're playing a team that they should win. The expectations are now there. And let's keep the expectations in check. You know, the expectations aren't to win the division, to win a round in the playoffs. The expectations at this point in time are for the Giants to beat a Cowboys team that has a porous offensive line and is playing with their backup quarterback and does not have as dynamic weapons as they have had in recent years with Amari Cooper and others no longer there. Win this game on Monday, 
And then let's take it from there. Because Jordan joked with me, Jordan Renan, when he got off the phone, joked that, yeah, he'll come back next weekend and the Giants will have a 500 record. That's true. You know what? Come back next weekend with the Giants at 3-0 and and then getting ready to face a Chicago Bears team the following week. One step at a time. The first step, these expectations this week are for the Giants to beat the Dallas Cowboys on Monday Night Football. Because if they don't, I think it undoes, depending on how that game goes, if they don't, it undoes a lot of the good that they have done in the first two games. So we'll see. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show.